This episode contains adult content of a sexual nature. We discuss sex and masturbation throughout the entire episode. You're listening to Bite Sized Beauty, a podcast by Adore Beauty that breaks down the topics you want to hear more about into easy to listen to bite sized series. From sex to skin, we can guarantee there's something for everyone. So go on, sink your teeth into it. So on today's episode, we are going to discuss our thoughts on the TV show Sex Life. We are also chatting to Dr. Sarah Ashton on exploring your sexuality and, of course, the products we didn't know we needed. So, Sam, I've really wanted to publicly discuss sex life for so long. <laughs> I, it was everywhere. There, I couldn't go on any media mm-hmm. platform mm-hmm. without seeing something about sex life. TikTok, there was a trend on TikTok with the shower scene. There was just everyone was talking about sex life. And I had really high hopes. Were you mm-hmm. the same? I, I wanted to watch it because I wanted to be part of the conversation. I felt like oh, I'm missing out on something here. Yes. Everyone's into this. I'll be a part of it too. But I have to say, (laughs) I thought it was going to be really erotic and sexy and a turn on. And it, I want to read you out this article. There was an article in the Sydney Morning Herald and this sums up my thoughts. This guy, Thomas Mitchell, wrote this headline. Netflix show Sex Life is so bad, I can no longer enjoy sex or life. <laughs> that, was exa- that was exactly how I felt the entire time I was watching it. Agreed. I I actually couldn't even watch the screen. Like I was so embarrassed. <laughs> I was watching the TV show in the reflection on the window because I couldn't directly <laughs> look at the screen because I was embarrassed. Well, so first of all, I didn't find it sexy. I think because the writing was so corny or something like it wasn't there was nothing sexy to me about the conversations that were going on no it when I was watching it I was thinking have have the writers ever met people (laughs) has anyone ever spoken (laughs) like this in their life (laughs) and I think that I also wasn't like I didn't find the sex scenes I actually had to so I turned it off after one episode and I was like no no no, I'm gonna give this a go and then I literally turned it off after I couldn't keep watching and every time I turn it back on I turn it back off agreed it was it was I would describe it as unbearable so I thought what we would do for today's cringy combo is I wanted to talk about some other shows that are very sexy that you can also watch about sex if if you watch Sex Life and you're like, what What I couldn't believe was Sex Life was number one. Like everyone wants to watch, they want to watch mm, shows about yeah. sex. I think especially in lockdown, people want sexy content. I totally understand that. I do wonder if it was number one, how many people watched the whole series though? Yeah, I can exactly. imagine it going to number one. Everyone watches the first. They watch the shower scene. I think that was no. it. The shower scene was number one in yep. the country and yep. then everyone tuned out after that. Or oh, people were just really, they, I reckon they saw it on TikTok or saw it in the news and were like, I've got to watch to see what this is all about. And then I did a question box on my Instagram and literally everyone, like 90% of people were like, some people liked it, I, I will say. So for anyone listening that liked it, totally fine to like it (laughs) this is just this is just how we felt about it um so um I wanted to start with if you haven't seen the show sex education we've spoken about that a couple of times I am just so grateful that the kids of today or like the young adults or the people in their early 20s or whoever's watching it 
gets to see such a great depiction of sex and like also that it's uh, that it's awkward I like the mm, awkwardness I like of the it. awkwardness as well I definitely like that in terms of like an awkward tv shows I've been re-watching girls lately that's my like lockdown rewatch. I I think that was the first tv show that I ever watched that actually depicted full-on like awkward, awkward ugly sex <sighs> ugly sex yes that's so true it's like that's actually how sex for the first time can really be it's not like the movies it's It's certainly not not. it's not like sex life (laughs) (laughs) it is not the shower scene it is adam and hannah having weird sex on a dirty futon that's what life is (laughs) oh my god when you said adam and hannah for a second i was like wait who like me (laughs) yeah no that was i i really agree with that i think that was one of the earlier shows because i remember i watched when i was 15 and like you know wanting to watch shows that were going to give me the education about sex that I wasn't getting in school. I was watching Sex in the City. Mm-hmm. And that's also not a very like great that they were talking about masturbation so openly and that, you know, Samantha was like so confident in her sexuality. I love all that. But I still didn't find like now mm. now that I know what I know. <laughs> like it's, I still- it's too glossy. It's far too glossy. Even their weird sexual encounters are still beautifully lit and everyone looks like a model. And, and then like I was actually thinking back to I the one part of Sex in the City that I really loved and that I've actually revisited because I'm in my early 30s and I'm kind of ready to meet someone um is when Aiden and Carrie don't have sex. Like he, it's the, it's are we sluts? I like that to me was that desire. We've spoken about this, Sam, the desire building up. And I love that was one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, you're right. That is great. That like that bubbling, the waiting. Yes. Love it. it. (laughs) Now, another one that I thought was actually um, a really good show that you, I don't think you've seen this because I did mention it. The other week was Masters of Sex. Yeah, no, I started watching it. Oh, amazing. What do you think? I, I really love it because I also have a weird thing for Michael Sheen. I think he's like weirdly sexy. So. Oh, me too. Oh, my God. And you are his type. He was married to Kate Beckinsale. So, you know, I feel like you have similar vibe. You're in. <laughs> he also dated Sarah Silverman. Yeah, no, he he's definitely got a vibe in that show. Um, So that one's about William Masters and Virginia Johnson. They are known as the pioneers of the science of human sexuality. So that one's like a bit more sciencey, but also they have sex. Mm, They do. But it's, yeah, just super interesting. Very interesting. Particularly because I I really like the, the dynamic playing out of him being so, you know, exploratory with sex in his like work life and then coming home to basically a Stepford wife. Mm. It's a really interesting dynamic. It's a good show. Mm. Yep. I had to also turn off Fifty Shades of Grey. I could not get through the first episode. Yeah. I read the books, but I could not get through the, sorry, the first, the first, first movie. Film. Have you seen yeah. it? No. Uh, yeah, I have. Actually, you know what? Oh. I've seen, I've seen it all. I've seen all of them. What were your thoughts? <laughs> Almost out of like a sick curiosity. No, not sick curiosity. Everyone liked it. It was another one of those situations where I was like, everyone's talking about this. I want to be part of the conversation. Yeah. So I watched them all. I didn't read the books, but I did watch them. I think it's an easier watch than um, Sex Life. Yeah, okay. I started watching it and I felt too uncomfortable once again by the dialogue. The dialogue yeah. was making me really 
awkward. I felt physically sick. I was so awkward. I was like, <laughs> I can't, I can't watch these two try try to make this work. But what I did want to say, someone sent me a tip the other day because I um was watching the blacklist and making jokes about James Bader and how sexy I think he is. Mm-hmm. Someone sent me a message and said, Have you seen Secretary? Because that he's the Classic. original Mr. Gray. Yep. Yep. Guys. Okay, yes, that movie would never probably be made now. Like it's, like it's I think it's a pretty nuanced exploration of that kind of dynamic though. Absolutely was an incredible film. But what about the workplace scenario? That was my only like oh, would that you're happen so now? right. It's like less about the like <laughs> subdom situation and more that it's all playing out in the office. <laughs> Yeah, that's a really good point. If you're looking for an alternative because you had to turn off Fifty Shades of Grey, give Secretary a (laughs) go. Looking for something more awkward but also more. It's funny because the films that have an awkwardness to them because they're being really realistic I find are actually more sexy. And then the movies that are trying so hard to be sexy end up just being super awkward. 100%. I could not agree with that more. I like, yes, I really like, like, because it's a real depiction. Like Mm. the awkwardness shows a real depiction of how you really feel in those situations. Definitely. Like I never, I never go into situations and I'm like a sex goddess on the first night because I don't, I don't turn up to dates and feel like that. Like I feel awkward. Yeah. I don't know this All person. those insecurities and kind of like those moments and like being totally unsure what's going to happen are also exciting. And that's where that sexiness yeah. comes from. Cause it's the unknown. hundred yeah, percent. Um, now you've got a couple of other sexy movies all the the films I couldn't think of any tv shows but definitely all the films recently that I have watched that I've thought wow this is like the most sexy depiction of sex mm-hmm. and like desire are all same-sex relationships so it's like mm. call me by your name um portrait of a woman a lady on fire I don't know if you've seen that it's amazing I haven't seen that one. Oh yeah, my god I'm gonna google it right it's now it's really good it's about like a woman who's like a, a painter comes to do a portrait like but it's all very like repressed and just like super oh, sexy yeah. so I don't know what's going okay. on there but I feel like straight people should stop trying to make tv shows about sex because it's not working <laughs> let's <laughs> yes. just stick with these super hot same-sex relationships Call Me By Your Name was one of one of my favourite films of the of that year. Right. And again, like it's quite awkward watching it play out, but it's yes. so hot. The peach scene, very awkward. <laughs> exactly. <but laughs> I never looked at a peach the same way. No, um, but like watching Timothy Chalamet climb Army Hammer like a tree, like that's hot. <laughs> Well, everyone, I hope that gives you a little bit of if if sex if you watch Sex Life and was like, God, there's got to be a better depiction of sex on Netflix or Stan or wherever you're watching your TV shows. Hopefully, that gives you a bit of inspo. So now we'll get into our interview with Dr. Sarah Ashton. So our next guest, Dr. Sarah Ashton, is a psychologist, researcher, and the founder of SHIPS, which stands for Sexual Health and Intimacy Psychological Services. Welcome to After Dark, Dr. Sarah. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. So I wanted to start with um, what are the most common issues that you see in your clinic when it comes to sex? 
Um, well, we see lots of different issues. Probably the most common would be erectile difficulties or uh, sexual pain, differences in sexual desire when it comes to relationships, and also, I, get, I suppose, conflict or difficulties with relationships in general. But because we're psychologists, we also um, can treat mental health difficulties, which means that a lot of the time we're treating mental health difficulties which uh, might be comorbid or related to um, sexual issues in general. That would be kind of a, a broad overview. But I'm always really surprised about the sorts of things that walk through our door um, mm. because the list is never ending. <laughs> <laughs> and what would someone kind of expect when seeing a psychologist for um, sex or se- sexuality-related challenges? Yeah, so, I mean, this is a little bit different to sex therapy in general. So as psychologists who treat sexual health difficulties, this means that we're using evidence-based psychological frameworks and treatment modalities to to look at the the whole person. So if we think about uh, sexual symptoms and sexual behaviour on the surface, really we have to understand this in the context of someone's entire psychological makeup, their background, their history, all the things that make them who they are work together in a system and we see how the sexual symptom fits in with that. Whereas if you go to see a sex therapist, oftentimes there'll be a lot more focus on the behaviour and things you can do in the here and now that might be really helpful. Whereas we really look at things like trauma and your early experiences in relationships like attachment that might stem into understanding what's going on for you in the here and now. Mm -hmm. One of our previous guests on um, After Dark had said that one of the most common issues that she sees is a lack of communication around sex. So would you have any tips on opening up a dialogue and having a healthy conversation around sex with your partner? Yeah, I guess we can kind of focus on two things in relation to this question. So one is kind of practical tips on how to have good conversations about sensitive issues. And the other is about really the way that you prepare for this and the work that you do on yourself. So uh, if we take the practical tips to start off with, so picking the right time and the right um, space is really important. So um, you want to think of a time um, that is going to be useful for um, you and your partner or partners to talk about a sensitive topic. So, you know, if you're both about to go to work, this might not help. If you're both feeling really tired, this might not be a great time. If you're both feeling really stressed or under pressure in different ways, then this might not be a great time. So it's really about knowing you and knowing your partner and, and or partners and knowing, you know, what is going to be the most conducive context for, for having a conversation like this. And I guess the other principle is really to think about, you know, what do you want to achieve? What do you want the outcome of this conversation to be? Something to remember is that if you're vulnerable first, this might encourage your partner or partners to be vulnerable. Mm. Um, So uh, if you're able to share something about that, you know, you really like or that you really enjoy, then that encourages people to be more open themselves. And positive feedback is usually pretty important. So if you're talking about a sexual experience that you've had, sometimes it can be really good to kind of highlight or reward things that you really liked. So, you know, saying, oh, I really liked it when you touched me Mm -hmm. there. That felt really nice. That pressure was great. Um, Sometimes that can be easier to hear, you know, um, when we get rewarded for things that that feel good. But I suppose the other thing is that, 
really um, if you're having conversations about what you want sexually and um, you're, you know, wanting to communicate that well to your partner, you really need to know what it is that you prefer yourself and you really need to understand yourself to begin with. So I think that it's all about what you bring to that conversation um, and the awareness that you have around yourself. So that can mean in terms of your sexual functioning and preferences and, you know, what you like in your body, but that can also be about you as a person and emotionally what your needs are um, and about why you might feel sensitive about particular things or why you might react in certain ways. Um, All of these things, you know, that you can bring to a conversation, which is going to mean that it's, it's more productive because you can highlight what exactly it is that you want and what you need. And it sets the precedent for your partner or partners to do the same thing. I saw on your website that it mentions that one of the most common reasons for attending relationship therapy, and I guess this is related to the question that we just covered, is to explore sexuality, kink and non-traditional relationships. Um, What advice would you give someone that wants to start to explore these things, but kind of doesn't, I guess, no, they might've been thinking about it, but they don't really know where to start in terms of bringing it up with their partner or how to work through, you know, I want to look at a non-monogamous relationship. I want to talk about it. Sort of where would they start? Yeah. Well, I guess the great thing about social media and the internet is that there's a lot of really amazing resources out there. Um, There's a lot of communities that are on Facebook groups and on online spaces. Um, So you can really kind of seek out, you know, information to start off with is probably the best thing to, um, to understand, you know, what it is that's important to you, what it is that you might like to try. There's lots of links to to information on our website if you're interested in um, understanding more and whether it's to do with different relationship structures or practicing kink. Um, So really, you know, find your community and there's lots of workshops and, you know, podcasts and um, bits of information that can be really helpful for figuring out what it is that you might be you know, interested in, or if you're just kind of a real beginner to kind of start exploring. So Curious Creatures, for instance, is a, a amazing organization that runs workshops and they run workshops for um, beginners who are really interested in kink. Yeah, it's really important to kind of be aware of all the factors that are important to your safety, your emotional safety, your physical safety and and the safety of the people that you're involved with. So, uh, and there might be a lot more things than, than you think if you've never kind of started exploring before. So I suppose, yeah, the, per- the first thing is to, to gather information. But oftentimes, you know, if we see a lot of people who might uh, want some support around that. So if they're, you know, in a relationship, for instance, and they want to explore ethical non-monogamy, they might come to ships because they want to set those parameters up and discuss um, some of the fears and anxieties which might be around that. So that can be really useful to to get some support. Um, You know, also if you're kind of exploring a new domain of your sexuality and you're, you know, wanting to um, integrate that into your socially recognised identity there's lots of lots of emotional um, and difficult experiences that can be involved in coming out so I think that you know there's there's lots of community support out there there's psychological support out there and you know the thing to remember is that there's just so many wonderful amazing options when it comes to sexuality and relationships and we're really just so kind of limited in the way that we think about it because we've grown up you know watching 
rom-coms and, <laughs> and, and kind of having a certain perception about how things work and really um, there's that we've just sort of set those limitations for ourselves and it, it can really be hindering and harmful when perhaps our desires and then the way that we want um, function you know individually is is not in alignment with that in fact it's understandable yeah I was talking to this guy on Bumble and he sort of revealed to me that he was in like an ethically non-monogamous relationship. He talked about it with his therapist. His partner had done the same thing. And he had said that he'd kind of gotten some really shocked responses on Bumble and some quite a lot of judgment as well. And it was really hard. And are there kind of some myths around around ethically or non-monogamous relationships? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think that... Um a lot of people think that it just means you can have, you know, all the sex and, you know, <laughs> limit, limitless partners that there's sexual, uh, you know, and romantic experiences available to you everywhere you go, um, you know, and I think I think something to remember is that a lot of just because you're using those words does not necessarily mean that you're doing it well, right? When you're talking mm-hmm. about ethical non-monogamy, you're talking about a arrangement in a in an agreement between parties that feels good, that feels consensual, where everyone's feelings are incorporated, expressed. Um, and prioritize, you know, and that's actually quite difficult to do, um, you know, mm-hmm. and it's really difficult to do well. Um, I can and, imagine. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of work. Well, exactly. And I think that, so a lot of, if you do meet someone on Bumble or something like that, and they, they're using that term, it's important to ask some more questions around that and sort of understand, well, you know, what are their agreements? What conversations do they have? You know, how do they, if something's not okay, you know, how do they resolve that? You know, be sensible about the questions that you're asking because it shows how much preparation, how much self-awareness someone has and, you know, all their thought around it because otherwise it's very easy for, you know, those dynamics to become toxic or um, to really harm um, emotionally another person. So as you can in monogamous relationship as well, as well, it's really about the people and their awareness and their intention. Is uh, shame something, um, sorry, shame around sex, something that you encounter regularly with your patients? And what kind of help would you recommend to people who are experiencing a lot of shame around their sexuality? Um, yes, every day. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, we, we live in a culture that, that shames and stigmatizes sexuality. Um, and particularly if you're, you know, a cis woman, that's something that's probably been integrated into your socialization. You know, there's, there's this kind of dichotomy of, you know, idealizing virtuous, you know, maternal women and then demonizing women who are sexual or who are sexual in appearance or in expression or behavior and attaching that to kind of um, morality. So, and then, you know, um, people are um, pathologized if they practice any kind of sexual behavior that sits outside of um, what's considered to be normal or, you know, heteronormative or, you know, so if there's any sort of kink or fetish that they're interested in, you know, uh, it wasn't long ago that this was actually pathologized within psychology. So it was included in the DSM. And, um, you know, so there's lots of shame and stigma to anything that sits outside of the norm, not to mention that 
homosexuality was, you know, listed as a disorder in the DSM in the 1980s. And so that's still extremely recent, you know. Um, so, you know, because we grew up in a culture like this, we've all internalised this, regardless of how progressive we think we are. We all have these kind of subconscious beliefs around what's normal and what's okay, you know, and what's good when it comes to sex and sexuality. And we, we don't really see kind of positive uh, explorations and, um, you know, representations of this. And so I think that, um, you know, this is something I see with every single person. I'm not sure that I've met a person, you know, client or otherwise, who doesn't have internalised shame. Um, so I suppose the the important thing when you, you know, in order to manage shame is really to understand where that comes from for you, you know, and to understand that where it comes from is actually you know, it has no kind of basis in being important or valid. So, you know, the reason why we might believe this about sexuality is because it's what we've seen in media or because it's what, you know, our parents told us or it's what, you know, we just sort of absorbed inadvertently through our friends. And really to be objective about this and to unpack it and sort of consider, you know, what do I think? What do I want for my life? What are my values? You know, once we make um, something more conscious, we have the opportunity to engage in it. And, you know, that's really when we can um, unearth some of that shame and and bring it to the surface. Um, So, you know, that's part of what we do with with clients. Do you know what I find really interesting, I found really interesting lately is like, you know, first it was Fifty Shades of Grey, and then it was, you've got all these Netflix shows that are going to number one all around the world. And it's, and it's just interesting that the algorithm is showing that people are wanting to watch more about sex mm. and relationships like sex life for example which I thought was terrible but <laughs> you know it's it's about it's about something that um you know about a woman that wants to explore sex outside her marriage so it's just really interesting that it's what people want to watch but but then we attach so much shame around and we don't actually I guess talk about it as much yeah it's um I mean we're all we're all sexual beings you know um and I think it really harms every single one of us that we don't have more open discussions about sex and sexuality because it means that we don't have the opportunity to understand it and explore it you know um Mm. so many uh, so when I did my PhD research on pornography you know I talked to so many young women who they just really had never thought or never prioritized understanding their own preferences and their own sexuality you know Mm. some women have never even looked at their vulvas you know it's just that we grow up in a world that doesn't tell women that this is okay you know um that it's where it's not encouraged where we're not kind of encouraged to explore this so of course we're interested in sex and we want to learn more about it and when there's like a public representation of of something it really makes it much more accessible and i think you know podcasts like this where there's 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 opportunities to openly and publicly discuss sexual issues are just are just so important you know and and i suppose there should be importance placed on accurate information I don't know if you've seen um, Sex Education. Oh, my God. Uh, That was one of my brilliant. (laughs) God, I wish I had that. I wish that was like when I was young, you know, to be able to watch something like that. Yeah, yeah. And that that was really a lot of thought that was went went into diverse representations of of people and sexuality. Mm. So I think... It's, you know, something like that is a great example of how media can be incredibly powerful and useful. You know, it's really just about being informed about the content and that can be used for good, you know, rather than um, for harm. Yeah, that's a brilliant show. Do you think that the sort of the generation like below, I guess, Hannah and I, like Gen Z, are going to have a better relationship 
with sex because of this more open discussion in the media and some, you know, some good content like sex education? Or do you think there's still a lot more work to be done and it's, you know, going to take decades for us to to have a generation of people who grow up without feeling shame around shame. sex? Shame, yeah. I really hope so. There's a lot of things like this kind of, you know, a lot more kind of access to information that is extremely positive and also just more kind of progression in public dialogue around, you know, diversity and normalising sexuality. So that's great. I think that I really hope that has an impact on the next generation. But I think also, you know, it's a different environment that young people are growing up in. You know, uh, we really have to consider that there is a generation of young people who the first thing that they were exposed to sexually was porn um, and that it has a profound impact neurologically on someone's brain, um, like the first things that you experience sexually. And, you know, porn is is such a, a powerful uh, reward neurologically and there's so much kind of content and progression of content and desensitisation and reward that can start happening while someone's brain is still continuing to develop. Um, and so another thing that I see in young people is that really impacts on what they expect from sex, what they experience as being pleasurable, and so, you know, um, really then when it comes to having real life sexual experiences, it's really different, you know, both in terms of sensation and in terms of, um, you know, what they're actually kind of experiencing visually. And that can cause more difficulties in terms of like objectification and normalization around sexual violence, because you're really a lot of the pornography content, you know, does not depict uh, consent practices. So I think there's, there's some added kind of complexity to that. And we really like, you know, porn's here to stay, but I think we can really talk about ethical porn and I think that we can talk about arming young people and just understanding and look what they're looking at and what that's going to do to their brain and just and just kind of knowing the difference between that and, and real life. Mm. So is it really common for couples to have different levels of desire and does that kind of wax and wane? Like I guess the narrative of like, oh, the man always wants to have sex, you know what I mean? Mm. Is, is that what you experience in your in your practice? Yeah, but I guess that, you know, we can kind of throw the gender norms out the window because I yeah. definitely work with, you know, c- cis women who want sex more and cis men who who, want, who don't want sex as much and, you know, everything in between. I think our, so our sexual desire, our sex drive, it waxes and wanes throughout our life and is dependent on so many variables, so many contextual variables about, you know, our mental health, what's going on in the relationship, what's going on in our, the rest of our life. So it's really normal that, you know, there there might be a difference that varies across time and and so it's really important that um you know both both people understand what affects their sex drive and what's and what affects their desire um and that they know how they can talk about that within the context of their relationship i think one of the most common experiences is that people personalize that so they think oh you know, my partner doesn't want to have sex with me. That means they don't want me. That means they don't desire me. And of course that can be possible, um, you know, and that's an important conversation to have as well. But actually it can be about a whole bunch of other different things. And so I think really it's about how you deal with with these changes that come up and how you deal with this difference. One of the most toxic things is when if another person expects that, you know, you should have sex with them just because they want to. You should never have sex with it 
at any time um, unless you want to. So um, I think that can, you know, there can be lots of dynamics that can kind of play out that cause conflict or harm, you know, and really what we want to do is arm people with the ability to, to know themselves, to assert their boundaries and to be able to communicate with their partner about what's going on for them and the fact that they that just because they don't want sex doesn't mean that they don't love them and they don't care about them and that they, you know, might want to do something else, that sex is a lot more than just penetration and, and that emotional intimacy and, you know, sensual experiences are, are just as important in um, enjoying each other. Loved it. Thank you so much, Dr. Sarah, for joining us. Um, where can people find you? Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Ship Psychology. Um, you can find us on our website, which is www.shipspsychology.com.au. And we've also got Facebook and, and LinkedIn and yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, come and talk to us about anything that, you know, we might have talked about today. And if you have any concerns within your relationship about your sexual health, then um, we're happy to help you out. Kick us off, Sam, with your PWDKWN. Okay, so thinking about, you know, spicing up your sex life and <laughs> kind of introducing an element of kink, we have just recently launched this really fun product from Lalo. It's called the Flickering Touch Massage Candle. I've heard of these massage candles. I'm so excited to hear about this. It's, I think it's super fun if you want to like do something a little bit, a little bit fun, a little bit kinky, but like still pretty vanilla. Actually, I think the flavor of it is vanilla. Um, So it's basically like a massage oil that's in a candle. And so when you light it, it warms up and melts the oil. And so then you can pour Mm -hmm. that on your partner and give them a little massage. So the oil- But it would be very hot. Yeah. It's not not like burning hot. Like it's not going to like burn you, but it's, um, it's definitely warm. And it is pretty sexy, I have to say. It's a pretty fun time, if, especially if you're at home and you're stuck in lockdown and you're thinking about yeah. buying a candle, buy a candle that you can pull or over your partner. And it smells like vanilla. Yeah, it smells It smells very nice, actually. Like it would work just as a candle, but it's this fun little added benefit. I was watching a video on Instagram stories the other day from someone I follow and I, I, wasn't, I didn't have sound on and I didn't realize it was a massage candle. And so she's like lighting the candle and I'm just watching. And then all of a sudden she pours it on her chest. I'm like, what, what are you doing? I'm like, she's pouring hot wax on it. And it was a massage candle, I realized. I mean, you know, yeah, pour it on yourself. Don't wait for a partner. Get in yeah, there. Totally. Yeah, no, she and she was like mass. She's a sensuality coach. So amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah, we definitely had fun with it, um, especially because, I mean, ultimately you, you also just get a massage out of it. So yeah, totally. Who love that? And you can't go see, you can't go see a masseuse at the moment. No, so. no you can't. So, Perfect you know, excuse. maybe potentially you could buy it and then trick your partner into giving you a massage by saying mm. this is this exciting kinky thing that we're trying <laughs> when you really just want a nice massage. Totally. Um, now my product is, I've already, I've spoken about the Johnny condoms in an episode of BDIQ Uncensored, but I wanted to chat about them here. So Johnny is a female founded brand. And what I love about them is they've like made condoms, like really female friendly. Like they don't look like your regular condoms that you put underneath all your food at the supermarket. They're like, They've got like great colors and they've got great branding and they've got these little fab little bags actually called fab little little bags. And that's like a disposable bag that you can put the used condom in. 
So they've got a new Let's Dance. I just love the name, a Let's Dance 30 pack. Yes. The, the 30 pack is exclusive to Adore Beauty. Oh, thank you, Sam. Our, <laughs> our category manager. So it comes in a big biodegradable bag and just a little bit about the condoms. They're rubber latex, they're lubricated, and they're vegan friendly as well. So if you're looking for condoms that actually like, because they, they come in little, they're little pink ones and they've also got the green ones. I just love them. I think they're like the best looking they're condoms. They're super cute. They're super cute. Yeah. So that is mine. Anyway, that is everything for this week, Sam. We'll be back next week for our final episode of After Dark. Amazing. See you then. 